This is a Piccolo podcast production. In season one of Fairground Fuck-Ups, listeners were introduced to the legendary Action Park, an American amusement park situated in New Jersey. Throughout its 18 years of operation, the former ski resort housed some of the most insanely irresponsible designs for water slides and was responsible for more injuries than the rest of the theme parks on America's East Coast combined and several deaths. If you're new to our podcast and want to know the history of the park and its owner, listen to episode four of our first season, where we discuss the wildly mismanaged saga of Waterworld. Now fasten your seatbelts, because today we take a joyride through Action Park's Motorworld. I'm your narrator, Holly Mitchell. Welcome to Fairground Fuck-Ups. You might recall that after acquiring the Alpine Resort in 1976, Gene Mulverhill was presented with a dilemma. How could this significant parcel of land continue to turn a profit in the summer months? Taking stock of what he had purchased, Mulverhill discovered a number of all-terrain buggies in storage. His first inclination was that he could hire these out and allow guests to traverse a wooded area on the buggies dodging trees as they hit the gas. While this exact model was not actioned, remember that first concept, because the sentiment would come to inform everything about the ideas Mulverhill developed over those initial months. Piece by piece, the mogul put together the attractions that he envisioned carrying the park to financial prosperity year-round. As he could afford them, the new attractions were installed. First the go-kart track along with the first water slides, then more the following season. But these were not random or thoughtless choices to increase the summer crowds, but part of a calculated and ambitious plan that began to take shape on the other side of Route 94, on land included in the original Alpine resort that had never been developed. He called this Motorworld. In his tell-all book, Action Park, Gene Mulverhill's son, Andy, gives a behind-the-scenes account of the planning and preparation that went into Motorworld. He says, The summer of 1977 was a proof-of-concept season, with my father wanting to make sure the Alpine was no passing fad. He offered just one new attraction, grass skiing, a warm-weather activity where people wore boots fitted with what looked like tank treads and rolled down the slope on dirt sometimes tumbling from an errant rock or pebble. Grass skiing did not prove popular, but the Alpine continued to draw crowds, and so he decided it was time to move forward. One ride was not enough. Expansion and growth was necessary. He believed the best way of going about this was to legalise drunk driving. It seems there was no middle ground with Action Park. It was either the greatest expression of freedom in North America or it was a health and safety no-man's land, a parent's nightmare and a litigator's dream. The same attitude that reigned over the operation of Waterworld would persist in the dubious management of Motorworld. 
Residents of New Jersey were to be given fast cars to be driven recklessly into one another, into trees, into fences, and into the crowds of onlookers. And if anyone was off their face, well, there was no breath testing. <laughs> Motor World Woo! rides would be set apart from other mini car places like go-karts or quad bikes, where those sorts of recreational activities continue to bring in steady crowds through the adrenaline-fueled thrill of speed in an open vehicle. Gene Mulverhill apparently found them limiting. Young people could go anywhere and ride around on the ground. At Motor World, patrons would be like the United States Marines, with the chance to take the land and the air and the sea. Mulverhill had, at some point prior to 1978, come into possession of a small fleet of three-quarter scale Formula One races, the first of their kind on the east coast of the USA. These were also known as Lola cars, named after the British car company that manufactured the original full-sized vehicles. Whilst the Motor World Lola cars were undersized and could very easily be described as cute, they were not toys. The engine of the Lola T506 vibrated through your stomach and made your testicles rattle. These machines would be paired with standard go-karts, named Super Go-karts, to form the first attractions at this new motor world. Along with another wild concept to be developed at a later date, these would comprise the land rides. Motor World also boasted two watercraft rides, the bumper boats, an obvious aquatic spin on the concept of bumper cars, and the super speed boats, which were, well, actually, they were thrash like bumper boats as well. As an added bonus, Anyone lucky enough to be thrown from their water vehicles would get the chance to enjoy the surprise attraction, snakes. Finally came the air rides. The Space Shot, a tower drop ride, common in many amusement parks, and the Slingshot. The Slingshot was exactly what it sounded like. Two riders were strapped to the capsule, which was itself connected to a massive elastic cable. This was stretched to its limit and then released vertically. Riders would be hurled skywards at breakneck speeds, leading some employees to think of renaming the ride Whiplash. Rides such as these can be found in numerous amusement parks around the world, operated as safely as can be expected, and enjoying only a moderate number of unfortunate incidents. So what was it about Motorworld that places it here, in this category of fairground fuck-ups? That would be the secret ingredient. Action Park's complete and utter disregard for any notion of public safety. An attitude that stretched from Mulverhill himself down to seemingly every park attendant who worked for him. At Motorworld, employees would soon learn a means of tinkering with the mechanisms of the super go-karts and the Lola cars, which would enable them to vastly exceed their advertised 20 miles per hour limit reportedly reaching speeds as high as 50. Rumours abound that employees were known to take the amusement vehicles onto Route 94 after hours, following trips to the neighbouring microbrewery. But this righteous hack was made available to patrons as well. Patrons were supposed to be 17 years old and present a valid driver's licence to be allowed to operate a Lola car. At the time, the licenses printed in New Jersey were renowned for being easily falsifiable. 
When a kid fronted up with their cat pulled down low to obscure their youthful looks and flash one of these fake IDs, attendants would inevitably wave them through. The word had come down from Mulvihill Hill directly, never utter the word no to guests. That mandate had the added benefit of enabling access to Motorworld to those patrons who had already spent a reasonable portion of their day drinking. The anything goes culture of the park was well and truly adopted by guests and adults had no problems bullying the often teenaged attendants, pushing past them and ignoring their protests. One notable story involved a woman behind the wheel of a go-kart with a scarf wrapped around her face. Losing control of the vehicle, she smashed through a chain link fence and then carried on towards pedestrians, making their way into the park. A brave attendant jumped on top of the go-kart in an attempt to stop it and wound up smashing their head on the metal brace bar in the process. The go-kart finally ended up in a tree. Over in the water, the watercrafts didn't fare much better. As already mentioned, no matter what the boats were meant to be used for, all the patrons used them to collide with one another. These were far more difficult for employees to police, given their placement in a fairly large body of water and the fact that the riders were just as inebriated as the ones in the Lola cars. On more than one occasion, a patron using the super speed boats was flung into the water after a collision and had to be rescued. While the actual bumper boats were supposed to be slower and safer, they were poorly maintained and often in disrepair, leaking gasoline so badly that at least one rider was known to have been hospitalized. Since the boats were so small and attendants allowed taller patrons to enter the water with their legs dangling over the side, there was more than one broken leg thanks to this ride. Miraculously, no serious incidents were ever reported having been caused by the air rides. With three of the four elements accounted for, it's a wonder that Gene Mulverhill never conceived of some manner of volcano-based fire ride vehicle. Or perhaps his dreams were simply too expensive to realise. Whatever the case, he had another secret project he was developing that would complete his vision for Motorworld and become one of Action Park's most iconic attractions. They were called the Battle Action Tanks and the crowds absolutely loved them. Opponents would face off against one in motorised mini rigs with pneumatic cannons that fired tennis balls. At the same time, spectators could pay a lesser fee to shoot from cannons mounted on the sidelines. The cannons fired their projectiles at an unbelievable 100 miles per hour and the battle tanks themselves were rigged to go into a tailspin when someone got a direct hit. It was described by Mulverhill as Wimbledon meets Vietnam. In the case of this particular attraction, the drivers were suitably protected from any impact. The same could not be said of the attendants, who periodically had to enter the arena and gather up the fallen tennis balls spread out over the field. Like punters at the driving range taking aim at the carts sent out to recover golf balls, people could also aim their shots at the poor saps in charge of picking up the stray ammunition. This was one of the key features of Action Park's advertising. Motorworld seemed to hold a particularly special place in Mulverhill's affections. More than just another series of rides to increase revenue, it was something of a life statement, a metaphor for his passion for speed and competition. 
This may explain why he was loath to impose any real sense of restrictions on enjoyment of the patrons. In an uncharacteristic display of good sense, however, when it came to the June buggies, Gene actually put his foot down and insisted that helmets be worn by all customers. It's worth noting that following the closure and sale of Action Park, Motorworld was redeveloped into a skate park that never saw any real interest or use from the public. Perhaps there was some passion for Mulvihill's baby that was shared by the diesel-loving motorheads who hooned around the tracks week in and week out. People wanted speed and danger, competition and risk, and Motorworld more than satisfied those desires. People wanted excitement, people wanted pain, people wanted action. Motorworld embodies everything that people remember fondly about Action Park. It was loud, it was fast, it was rough. But most of all, it let the patrons take control of their own experience. Indeed, the park's official motto was, you control the action. It was a place tailor-made for youth and young adults, primarily because it was staffed by people from that very demographic. Safety was not just a dirty word at Action Park. It was simply absent from the vocabulary. Even looking back decades later, most people seem to offer a wry smile as they conjure up their memories of the place where they knew at least one person had scored a trip to hospital. It was a rite of passage for Jersey boys and girls. Lose some skin, chip a tooth, bloody your nose, or break a bone at Action Park, and you had passed through the gateway to adulthood. Joe Hessian got his first job parking cars at Action Park when he was 14, and he recalls, I could never have had as much fun anywhere else. But you have to remember that a lot of people got hurt there. People died there too. Devotees who mourn the loss of this monument to their adolescence may be allowing rose-tinted glasses to nudge their affections. They remember the thrills, chills and broken bones in equal measure and can brag about surviving the place. But there are those for whom the broken bone, the near drowning or the death of a beloved family member will be the only thing that comes to mind when the name of this place is spoken. I'm Holly Mitchell, and you've been listening to Fairground Fuckups. Next episode, we're joined by park attendee and co-director of the Class Action Park documentary, Seth Porges. Seth Porges.